Welcome, friends. Uh, this is Karen Tate, and uh, you're listening to Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio. And uh, I appreciate you tuning in on this special day, uh, which is uh, Friday, January 31st, as I uh, am embarking on uh, my new program that I promised to, to start uh, in 2020, uh, which will be coming each month. Um, what I'm sharing with you today is about Sekhmet, uh, the lion-headed Egyptian goddess, uh, who I believe is a goddess for our time. Uh, we'll be talking about her magic and her mysticism, and, uh, and what I want to share with you will be uh, followed by a meditation. So I hope you'll uh, get comfortable. Uh, especially toward the end um, when, uh, I, you know, we start the meditation. And also uh, toward the end of the sharing uh, is when I'm going to get into uh, the accounts of magic uh, that uh, people we know, um, you know, have had with Sekhmet. So um, first we'll kind of get to the facts about her and how she's, uh, how she's seen and isn't seen, and, uh, you know, then we'll get to the real juicy stuff, you know, before we go on to the meditation. And what I'm sharing with you can be found in um, uh, two of my books, uh, in chapters 14 and 17 of Walking an Ancient Path, uh, which was an award-winning book. And uh, also my other book, Goddess Calling, uh, Inspirational Messages and Meditations of Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology, which is a mouthful that really means uh, goddess value sets us free of patriarchy and this dominator-oppressor culture we find ourselves in. Uh, Jean Houston, Barbara Walker, Z Budapest were just a few of the leaders in the community that recommended uh, my book, Goddess Calling. And the meditation that I'm doing today uh, is from Goddess Calling. The other information about Sepmet uh, is in uh, my book, Walking an Ancient Path. So um, get comfortable. Uh, settle yourself so you might absorb and enjoy. Uh, allow yourself to take in the inspiration, uh, the information. Uh, then, as I said, we'll do a meditation together to round out the show. And uh, just uh, a reminder, you should click the follow button on the show page of Voices of the Sacred Feminine. So uh, each month you get in your email inbox reminders of the show, the guests that are coming up, and uh, a quick access button, which takes you uh, right here to listen. All right, so um, Sekhmet, uh, a goddess for today, hear her sacred roar. There's not uh, the plethora of information out there on Sekhmet uh, as one might find on other Egyptian goddesses, unless uh, you've had the good fortune to find a book by the title of Heart of the Sun, an Anthology in Exaltation of Sekhmet. It was edited by Candace Kant and Anne Key, uh, which brings together much of what researchers can find on the origins of Sekhmet uh, alongside how contemporary priestesses view Sekhmet. Otherwise, uh, this dearth of information sometimes leaves Sekhmet misunderstood uh, by curious contemporaries uh, who really understand little of Sekhmet, in my opinion, beyond her reputation that associates her uh, with the dangerous heat of the desert and the myths 
where she would have destroyed humanity had she not been tripped into drinking a sleeping potion, which stopped her destruction of uh, humanity. According to uh, Candace Cantman Key, uh, she was known as the Mistress of Dread and the Lady of Slaughter or the Devouring One. So, you know, to the casual observer, she was danger and destruction personified uh, as uh, she was thought to be the bringer of plagues and might be looked upon uh, even as a mercenary of sorts for her father, Ra, the sun god. So no wonder people of earlier times as well as today might approach Sepmet with extreme caution until they find courage to lift her red linen veil and become more acquainted with who I've come to call the Lady of Tenacity Manifested. Sekhmet, uh, whose name is derived from the word Sekhem, means power, but as the whole story will soon unfold to tell, she is power much in demand today, particularly as an archetype or role model of female power. She's a great creatrix and mother goddess who, according to Canton Key, citing from the book of Smiting Down Apophis, she created humankind with her tears. She's a healer. Her son, Nefertum, a patron god of doctors, and her clergy, the Uab, were famed healers and surgeons. Of her thousands of ancient names, which reflect her essence, many of which we can find in the Cant and Key anthology from contemporary priestesses, or from Robert Masters, who wrote the book, The Goddess Sepmet, Psycho-Spiritual Exercises of the Fifth Way. We find names of beauty, creation, protection, alongside her association with the underworld and destruction. Some of these names uh, are Before Whom Evil Trembles. Ooh. Uh, The One Who Was Before the Gods Were the great one of healing, the mistress of life, the lady of the place of the beginning of times, lady of the waters of life, mother of the dead, guide and protectress from the perils of the underworld, unrivaled and invincible one, great of the Hekau, lady of the magic lamp, satisfier of desires, inspirer of males. These were just some of her titles. So with trepidation set aside, I hope, let us don our archaeologist's hat and trowel and dig a bit deeper into Sekhmet of yesterday and today. To become familiar with her image, one can find many statues of Sekhmet, usually carved from black granite. Just a few of the varied places I've enjoyed gazing upon her life-size statue outside of Egypt includes the numerous ones residing in the gardens of the Vatican Museum in Rome, while more, more or within the Louvre Museum in Paris, or in the gardens of Hearst Castle right here in California. Last time I looked, there was a wing dedicated to her in the Rosicrucian Museum in San Jose, California, and of course at the Temple of Goddess Spirituality dedicated to Sekhmet outside Las Vegas, Nevada in Indian Springs. 
the collection of Sekhmet statues in New York's New York City's Metropolitan Museum of Art deserves a mention because while there are several life-size statues in more traditional style we've become accustomed to, there was one smaller statue housed within a glass case that really caught my eye. There I saw the very unique seated Sekhmet holding a child in her lap, probably the pharaoh, reminiscent of Isis holding Horus. The statue was unmarked, so details weren't really clear. Uh, also, I want to mention uh, there's the uh, Sekhmet statue at the Museum of Woman in Irvine, California. We can't forget that one. It's beautiful on a um, pyramid throne, and uh, there's an incredible story of when the statue was installed. Uh, as they pulled the curtains aside, uh, the lights actually started to flicker on and off. It was honestly, it was like Sekhmet was saying, yes, I am here in the room. And you know, that was not a trick. Uh, no human did that. It just happened at the moment the curtains parted for everyone to see her statue for the first time uh, there at the Museum of Woman. So Sekhmet, um, we usually spell her name S-E-K-H-M-E-T, also can be spelled Sachmet, S-A-C-H-M-E-T, uh, Sekhmet, S-E-K-M-E-T, or Sakmet, S-A-K-H-M-E-T. Uh, and it's us and uh, she's usually depicted as a lion-headed woman holding an ankh. She has the typical lion ears and mane. Her breasts are bare or might have rosettes on her nipples. She can be depicted with the solar disk atop her head, donned with a uraeus or cobra, a symbol associated with divine authority or the royal power of the pharaoh. She may be naked, or we see her in wall paintings wearing an ankle-length red dress, sometimes with a staff in her hand. Kant and Key bring to the fore the significance of her colors of black and red. Most of her statues have been of black uh, igneous stone, a color reminiscent of the fertile land of Kemet, uh, which is uh, what Egypt is sometimes called, K-E-M-E-T. In the Egyptian psyche, black also had appropriate association with the underworld. Her other color is red, as in when she is referred to the Lady of Red Linen, or she's associated with fire, blood, life, red ochre, or the red land of the desert. In the Heart of the Sun anthology, Kant and Key delve into the few myths mentioning Sekhmet, including the ones that associate her with the Eye of Ra. Sekhmet, along with other uh, lion-headed Leonine Egyptian deities such as Ma'at, Wajed, Hathor, Baas, Tefnut, and Mut were considered the eye of Ra, the sun god, or eye of the sun, which elevated goddesses with this distinction to a more powerful status than other deities. Interestingly, these eyes of Ra were always female and embodied the intense power of the sun. In myths where Sekhmet is thought to be the Eye of Ra or Eye of the Sun, some notable things happen. In one myth, when Atum Ra replaced her with another, Sekhmet's grief and anger caused her to shed tears from which humans were born. 
and another myth, which Kant and Key refer to as the disaster goddess, Ra calls back the eye from a journey to Nubia because he feels powerless without Sekhmet at his side. Interesting, isn't it? From this writer's lens, me, it would seem one myth establishes Sekhmet as a creatrix or mother of humanity, while the other reflects her as the incomparable one. If the great sun god Ra realizes he is powerless without her near. Interesting. It reminds me of some of these statues we see uh, of Zeus and he holds Artemis in his hand. Uh, it's as if having Artemis um, helps increase his powers, too. So back to Sekhmet. Uh, places sacred to Sekhmet in ancient times where the temple is moved in, at Karnak. Kant and Key cite Jennifer Pinkowski, who tells of a crescent-shaped lake called an Ishiru, surrounding the three sides of the southernmost end of the Temple of Mut. Pinkowski states these sacred lakes were found throughout Egypt and were associated with the veneration of lioness goddesses. Memphis, just south of Cairo, on the border between Upper and Lower Egypt, was a sacred site of Sekhmet, as was Leontopolis within the Nile Delta of Lower Egypt, also called Teramu in ancient Egypt, or known as Tel al Mukdam today. It is said that lions were kept in the temples dedicated to Sekhmet and Bast in Leontopolis, and a practice of priestesses included drinking to excess, particularly during the Festival of Drunkenness, held during the first month of the year, just after the first flooding of the Nile. Interesting, isn't it? So January, if I understand this right, would have been the time for the Festival of Drunkenness. So it's fortuitous that we're doing this on the very last day of January 2020. Moving on, uh, reminiscent of Herodotus' accounts of festivals venerating the goddess Basque, a scholar Betsy Bryan, an archaeologist leading a dig at the Temple of Mouton Cornac since 2001, states this festival of drunkenness included drinking, sex, drugs, music, and processions. We are talking social drinking here. The ancient Egyptians party like there was no tomorrow when it came to their festivals of Bas, Sekhmet, and Mut. Specifically with Sekhmet Mut, the festivities celebrated the salvation of humanity and mimicked the aforementioned myth where Sekhmet almost destroyed humankind had she not been drugged with ochre-colored beer she thought was blood. Uh, Brian, Betsy Bryan, believes the priestesses in community would intentionally become drunk in hopes of seeing or experiencing a visitation from Sekhmet and request that she protect their community. In Kornath, this temple of Mut, another Leonine goddess who came to share characteristics with Sekhmet, had a porch of drunkenness built onto the temple by the female pharaoh Hatshepsut as a way to propitiate her or honor her or curry her favor. Considering the power of Sekhmet, it is easy to see why the pharaoh and people of Egypt would curry her favor. 
Most devotees of Sekhmet traveling to Egypt today find her in the temple complex of Karnak, very near Luxor, and a small temple off the beaten path, which she shares with her consort, Ptah, the, building go- the builder god. She is in a smallish square room with a light source from the ceiling, allowing the rays of Ra to shine down upon her head. Tourists usually are not aware of this small sacred spot, but the proper amount of bakshish, or gratuity, a tip, put in the palm of your tour guide will get you there. A bit more bakshish might buy you some private time with the Lady of Jubilation in her sacred space. So, I mentioned hearing her sacred roar today. So let me pose this question to you. Do we create deity, or does deity create us? An interesting question left to those with more wisdom than I. However, neo-pagans, women, study students, and goddess advocates are very likely to look at the ancient gods and goddesses through our contemporary lens as deity, archetype or role model, and ideal, with an eye toward reconstructing a contemporary spirituality using ancient temple stones. In doing so, one fine Sekhmet has quite a lot to offer humanity, particularly women, both today and yesterday. In addition to being powerful, regal, authoritative, and fearless, most contemporary devotees of Sekhmet see her as a healer, a protector, a mother, a magician, a mistress of manifestation. Yes, Sekhmet, mother, magician, mistress of manifestation. Unlike the other female deities who may have become domesticated or spousified under patriarchy and are a shadow of their former power and glory, Sekhmet suffered no such marginalization. Contemporary scholars and devotees alike see Sekhmet as a deity controlled by no male god with absolute authority over herself. As such, she has become an archetype for personal empowerment for women. She gives them permission to say no without guilt, to set healthy boundaries, to stand up, to be counted, to find their sacred roar. She teaches us to know our strength and to never let another, man or woman, take our power away. She schools us in confidence and sends lessons our way to test us, to steal us, and enable us. She allows us to grow and find the inner drive and determination to see things through. She is that energy and power down deep inside that can be called up when we must speak up or make things happen. She helps us to become the best we can be. As teacher Vajrama says, women come to know their natural female authority when they embody Sekhmet, when they know Sekhmet. Sekhmet helps us reconnect with power as life giver in our cycles and perhaps have a better relationship with and attitude toward our sacred blood. Kant and Key quote Jennifer Pinkowski, who connects the dots between past and present, citing the ochre colored beer, that's red colored beer, brewed by women, which flowed in an ecstatic ritual of propitiation to the power of the female divine. Their anthology brings in the work of Jaina, Tiovari, Vitalia, and Judy Gran, who see the parallel between the aforementioned celebration of the annual flooding of the Nile and its promise of life and fertility with menstruation and the honoring of the power of the female in all aspects. 
Norman D. Ellis' perceptions also included in the Canting Key Anthology as Ellis sees the associations with Sekhmet life and blood in her statement, quote, Sekhmet embodies the cyclical blood that flows at birth and death, the blood that flows from mother to child in the womb, the blood on the battlefield and the menstrual blood, or blood of circumcision that separates the budding young adult from childhood, unquote. And what anthology on Sekhmet would be complete without the comments of Genevieve Vaughan, who believes Sekhmet ruled over menstruation in ancient Egypt, connecting her to the blood mysteries and the peaceful renewal of monthly bleeding, which some say is imitated in the patriarchal bloodletting of war. She believes Sekhmet's protection comes not from patriarchal authority, but from what Italian philosopher Luisa Moraro calls, quote, the symbolic order of the mother, unquote, not unlike Vaughan's teachings of the gift economy. Associated with the sun, Sekhmet's aspects can be either life-giving and sustaining or under adverse or careless circumstances, deadly. In understanding this aspect, she teaches us diligence and discernment. As we come into our power, we must also come to know the importance of employing care and personal responsibility in all we do. We become the shaman as we, like the lioness, learn from Sekhmet to be nurturing and playful when that's what's called for, or to be fierce and protective when the need arises. We tap into our intuitive intelligence. She teaches us a cooperative spirit of working together with other women in our pride for the good of the group, focusing on the us and the we rather than the I and the me. She hunts to feed her young and does not kill indiscriminately. Greed and exploitation would not be the way of a lioness. Harkening back to Sekhmet's destruction of humanity myth, Genevieve Vaughan, foundress and benefactress of the Sekhmet Temple outside Las Vegas, draws comparisons between the legend of Sekhmet where she went on a rampage caused by the evil of people to an appropriate warning for us now because we allow ourselves to be drugged into giving up the political and economic power that we could use to stop the destruction of Earth, to stop the destruction of humanity. Vaughn said we should heed Sekhmet's warning and stop sipping the drug of lies and allowing ourselves to be disemboweled by consumerism and substance abuse, and if I might add, greed. Vaughn sees Sekhmet as a liberated human animal who will not allow the destruction of Mother Earth. Thus, Sekhmet has become an icon, an archetype of imminent female power in her message so relevant in the politics of today's world. Many women attribute Sekhmet's abilities as a healer and magician to miracles or blessings and transformation that have happened to in their lives. Genevieve Vaughan was the first widely known contemporary recipient of one such blessing. So we're going to start to get into the magic and the mysteries and the miracles of Sekhmet right now. So this first one uh, from Genevieve Vaughan uh, is about her, uh, you know, her being the recipient of this magic and mystery and miracle. 
The Sekhmet Temple outside Las Vegas stands today because Genevieve Vaughn prayed to Sekhmet to become pregnant. After years of successfully trying, she came upon a statue of Sekhmet in Egypt in 1962 and hearing of her powers made a promise that if she could become a mother, she would build Sekhmet a temple. A short time after making this promise, Genevieve did become pregnant and now has three daughters. Genevieve's promise to Sekhmet was, quote, if you make me pregnant, I will build you a temple, unquote. And so it came to be. Thirty years later, in 1992, on land in the Nevada Mojave Desert that was used for nuclear testing, located on a Shoshone Indian reservation, the Sekhmet Temple was built by Genevieve Vaughan. The site was chosen in an attempt to let the sacredness of the temple begin to heal the land from any potential toxic nuclear fallout. The temple is described as ecologically appropriate, made of whitewashed stucco with arched openings on each of its four sides for doors. Atop an opened circular skylight-like roof or tubular copper spheres hollowed out to contain crystals from Taos, New Mexico. At the center is a fire pit. Within the temple is a life-size seated statue of Sekhmet with the face of a lioness and the body of a woman made of black stone. It was made by the late artist from Texas, Marcia Gomez. Now, I have to say uh, that that needs a, a little correction since this uh, was actually published. Uh, that statue um, actually disappeared, and uh, it, was, it was stolen. And there's magic around uh, how uh, it was ever discovered what happened to that statue. And uh, although that statue of Marcia Gomez was never retrieved, um, there is a new statue of Sekhmet there now, uh, a seated statue. Uh, it's bigger than the original. In fact, uh, if Sekhmet stood up from that throne she sits on, in that temple she would probably be nine feet tall. And maybe in another um, you know, another opportunity. Uh, I will talk a little bit more, more about uh, the community coming together in ritual and magic to find out what happened to that statue that was actually stolen uh, from the temple out there in Nevada because they did find out and uh, that was a miracle in itself and, you know, no doubt facilitated by Sekhmet. So back to the structure of the temple out there, uh, it has small niches uh, all around the walls, uh, and, uh, uh, and they're, you know, they're used as altars throughout the temple. And um, on these niches and altars are uh, other images of goddesses of all traditions. But the focal point, of course, uh, of the temple is Sekhmet herself. Now, um, other... Uh, magic, mystery, miracles of Sekhmet uh, we'll move along to. Um, so history and mythology aside, uh, women speak of how Sekhmet seems to be associated today with those facing operations and hospital stays, uh, such as this account I'm about to share. And don't forget, um, you know, the, her son was a patron of doctors, and, um, you know, the priestesses of the day uh, were healers, you know, back in ancient Egypt. So, 
uh, here's another account of uh, Sepmet as healer and magician. A woman chanted mantras to Sepmet for an hour before going under anesthesia, asking that Sepmet protect her and guide the doctor's hand. The last thing she remembered in her mind's eye before losing consciousness under the anesthesia was the image of herself surrounded alternately by faces of her circle sisters and deities. But what stood out was a lion-headed face she recognized as Sepmet. Post-surgery and for the duration of her recovery, the woman reported she had absolutely no physical pain. The nurses and doctors were astounded that she neither required nor requested pain medication after major surgery. The woman believes it was the healing embrace of Sepmet that helped her endure this challenging situation with such ease. Another lesser-known miracle is attributed to Sepmet in her power over fire. The sun goddess, remember. Her power over fire here. In the summer of September 2006, Southern California was plagued with wildfires. One fire, named the Day Fire, began around Labor Day and blazed for weeks, destroying thousands of rural acres of land, including precious national forests, wildlife, and their habitat, which threatened nests of uh, endangered condors about an hour north of Los Angeles. Hundreds of firefighters were struggling against strong winds and rugged terrain in remote areas that made containing the fire almost impossible for weeks. Soon the fire was leaving remote areas and was beginning to threaten populated areas, including what's called Sekhmet's Mountain Sanctuary. When the fire was about four miles outside the small town where Sekhmet's Mountain Sanctuary was located, Firefighters did not seem to be able to curtail the blaze, and an evacuation of the town's inhabitants became mandatory. That's when I decided to wait no longer and take another kind of action to lend the firefighters support, this person says. She says, I called upon everyone I knew to pray and lend their energy and focus their wills towards stopping the blaze. Each person could do that in whatever way felt most powerful to them. Some visualized rain and moisture entering the other area. Others called upon Sekhmet, goddess of the sun and fire, to protect her sanctuary, the town, the forest, and all its creatures. From our own altars and our own homes, we each visualized an enormous Sekhmet towering over the flames while the town and the surrounding area and harm's way of the fire was in a protective bubble. We visualized the firemen growing enormous and more powerful than the walls of fire they were up against and their water saturating the flames. The outcome was astounding and perhaps hard for some to believe, but this is true. After weeks of forward movement, the flames seemed thwarted almost immediately when this magic started. As soon as this plan was in motion, the fire stopped moving forward on its path, and the next days the fire was completely extinguished after burning for weeks. Some involved in this ritual and magic sustained the prayer and visualizations for a few days. Clouds actually formed. The wind stopped, and there was rain. Yes, rain in a time of year when rain never falls. Yes, this is a story of 
of my Sepnet. Yes, this is the story of Sepnet I first told in my book, Walking an Ancient Path, Rebirthing Goddess on Planet Earth. And this could have all been a wonderful coincidence. Yes, this might have happened without the prayer, sacred intention, and visualizations of all Sepnet's clergy and devotees, but many people were glad they did not have to find out. I believe the power of our prayers to to her made the difference. She heard us as she has heard the call of her devotees many times in many ways. She comes to us and makes herself known in dreams, offering encouragement and guidance or in blessings or what seems like miracles. She has taught me not to cast my pearls before swine, and when she has been called upon, she has never let me down. Through her lessons, I I, through her lesson, though her lessons have been some of the hardest in my life, I am grateful to her because whether Sekhmet's influence has been that of a deity archetype or, or, or ordeal, she has helped make me who I am today. Long ago, I came to the conclusion Sekhmet has been misunderstood over the centuries. There are many interpretations of her destruction of humanity myth, and I would like to suggest her wanton or intimidating reputation began perhaps from the mouths of men who were afraid of women's power, and Sekhmet was a shining example of just that. I have never feared Sepmet's power. I feel safely surrounded within her lioness embrace. While she is nurturing mother, she is equally capable of destruction if she has to protect herself or her children, but she does not destroy unless provoked. She is might and right. She is sacred rage and healthy boundaries. She is ultimate protectress and power checked by wisdom and discernment. Whether viewed as a black panther or a tawny lioness, she is beautiful and capable and teaches us life is messy and we have to be ready for the challenge. She is a mother and a healer. She can be tough love and reminds me of the Friedrich Nietzsche quote, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. She is the ultimate magician and tenacity manifested. To turn our backs on segment out of fear is turning our backs on our own power, responsibility, and abilities as men or women. Let us all rethink Sekhmet's reputation and see her as she truly is, deity, archetype, and ideal whose sacred roar we might emulate to save ourselves and humanity. Sa, Sakim, Sahu. Now, I'll mention the references uh, that I used uh, for this article um, in case you would like to um, look for them yourselves. Uh, it was uh, Heart of the Sun, an anthology and exaltation of Sekhmet. Uh, it was Sex and Booze figured into Egyptian rites. Archaeologists find evidence for ancient version of Girls Gone Wild. Sarah Hartwell's The Role of Cats in Myths and Religion. Genevieve Vaughan, My Journey with Sekhmet, Goddess of Power and Change. And my own, Walking an Ancient Path, Rebirthing Goddess on Planet Earth. And um, also, uh, Goddess Calling, Inspirational Messages and Meditations of Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology. 
Okay, we are going to take a quick break, uh, give you a chance to uh, stretch, maybe, um, you know, uh, get a swallow of uh, water. Um, what we're going to do now uh, is hear from Joe Carson, and uh, we will be right back in about a minute and a half, and um, we are going to get into the SEPMET meditation. Uh, called Sifmet in Her Fires of Transformation. I think you'll really enjoy it. Hello. Let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is what Drusilla Pettibone said on DearMist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I don't think I can comment on it adequately until I've had a chance to watch it a couple more times. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example, the info about hinges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was obviously very beautiful and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast and with so many layers. I am also so pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com. So we're back, and if by some chance you're just uh, uh, you're just tuning in, we're about ready to do uh, the Sepmet Fires of uh, Transformation uh, meditation from my book Goddess Calling. Uh, so please do uh, find a comfortable spot uh, to sit or lay down, uh, relax, and begin to focus on your breath. Breathe deeply in and out. In and out. Let the worries and cares of everyday life drift away. Try to focus on the sound of my voice. You're laying down in a cool green meadow. Tall grasses are all around you. A line of trees are in the distance and behind that tall mountain still with traces of winter snow at the highest peaks. You feel the cool, gentle breeze on your cheeks. You're perfectly relaxed. You're comfortable. You're not worried or concerned about a single thing. The sun is shining brightly overhead, and you are content, 
soaking in the beauty and abundance the mother has provided. As you lay there on your back, your eyes shaded toward the sun, you hear a slight rustle and the tall green grass is just beyond you. There seems to be something moving closer toward you, but you're not alarmed. You're perfectly relaxed as you hear the gentle footsteps making their way toward you. You are in the domain of the mother and you know you are perfectly safe. As the sound coming towards you stops, you look over in that direction and partially cloaked by the grasses, you see the outline of a large golden feline. What catches your attention are her eyes. She looks at you, through you. In that instant, you feel her energy like some sunbeams projecting toward you, making you feel powerful, capable, nurturing, and wise. As you continue to gaze into each other's eyes, you suddenly feel your surroundings go hazy and liquid. The big cat moves closer to you, inviting you toward her. Your eyes are inches apart from each other, and you covet this magnificent feeling she emanates in your presence. Within seconds, you no longer see her, but you feel her inside you. You look down at your feet, and they are shifting shape painlessly, miraculously, wonderfully. You look at your arms and hands, and they too are beginning to look like the supple, agile, limbs of a feline. You attempt to utter your astonishment and your voice comes out in guttural purrs. Then you look to your right and she is standing beside you. It is Sekhmet, the lion-headed Egyptian goddess. You see her walking upright as a feline woman. She is beckoning you to walk alongside her. You do, and she takes you by the hand as you both walk together through the tall grasses. All the while, you feel her eyes and breath on you. Her intense stare is imparting not only ancient wisdom, but courage, strength, and tenacity as her gifts to you. While you were basking in the glow of this energy, you had not realized she had walked you beyond the grasses toward a cool grotto of trees. You see a cave in the distance, and she gestures for you to walk toward the cave. Behind you all the while, supporting you, silently imparting discernment and knowledge, she directs you to sit in the cool, inviting darkness of this womb-like space. You hear her voice in the silence telling you to close your eyes. And in your mind's eye, you see images. And these images impart sounds and give you a higher sense of awareness. Sit a few moments now with these images and ideas. Let them flow to you. Allow, allow, allow. 
absorb them as if you were a sponge and remember the ancient wisdom you are being shown now. You feel the images fading, getting harder to grasp, until they finally cease. They are like sand slipping through your fingers. You naturally open your new feline eyes and you see clearly in the darkness. You breathe deeply and as if by doing so, anchor in these newfound ideas, thoughts, and messages. You no longer see her there physically, but you still feel the lingering energy of her presence within you. You feel your empowerment, your agility, your creativity, and you flex these newfound muscles. Soon you know it is time to exit the cave. Walking toward the opening, you glimpse the sunlight just beyond. As you step into the full light of the golden sun, you glance down at your feet, hands and arms, and they are once again your own. You walk back through the tall grasses, feeling the green growing things, gently caressing your limbs as you go. But that is not all you feel. You feel changed and transformed. You return to that sacred spot where this all began. You sit down on the soft, velvet-like grass and breathe. Breathe yourself back into awareness. You are relaxed, but you are also transformed, for she is still and always will be a part of you. Now, Take a deep cleansing breath and slowly, slowly bring yourself back into this room. Open your eyes and breathe. Breathe. So, uh, these meditations that I'll be sharing with you every month from uh, Goddess Calling. They're designed to sometimes be coordinated with particular messages as uh, today's message about Sekhmet. And they usually employ goddess imagery uh, that helps a person meditating accomplish something. Maybe it's healing, transportation, I keep saying transportation, I mean transformation. So it might be healing, transformation, manifestation. Uh, meditations are also designed to assist in achieving a quality, a virtue, or a state of mind, like maybe courage, strength, uh, dreaming and inspiration, self-worth, true beauty. So when doing the meditations um, that are in the book, uh, if you are an individual um, who is interested, you can take the book um, and adapt it for yourself. You know, you might want to consider recording the meditations and playing them back for yourself. You might also do that for group meditations and provide a little mood music in the background. And uh, what I'm going to do at um, at 
one point down the road here is um, I have some great meditations that are on uh, tape already. Uh, there's a Sepmet meditation and Ostara and Isis. Um, I think what I'm going to do here on the radio is come on and just uh, start the meditation so that if uh, you want to have that for yourself, uh, you can always save the link. And that way there won't be a sharing like I did at the beginning. Um, you know, it won't be uh, a discussion of any type, you know, with me or someone else or both of us. It will just be the meditation. So you can actually go to it uh, and use it uh, whenever you like. So um, I'll be scheduling that sometime in, in the near future. So uh, you want to make sure you've clicked the follow button on my show page so that uh, when that meditation comes out, if you're interested, uh, you'll be able to save it and use it uh, for yourself. Um, or you can use the one I just read to you, or you can get the book Goddess Calling and do your own. Uh, lots of options, lots of options. So um, that about does it uh, for me for today, uh, listeners. I want to thank you for tuning in um, on, uh, let's see, the 5th of February. I will have Manda Scott with me. Um, I will be back with you at 11 o'clock, and Manda Scott is going to talk about warrior women uh, through history. I think that's going to be interesting. And um, I think that's a good segue uh, to uh, the closing music uh, for today. Uh, not only is Sekhmet a warrior goddess, but the upcoming show is going to be about uh, warrior women. So uh, I'll share with you in closing uh, the music from Lisa Thiel and her song, Warrior Goddess. Goodbye, and uh, thank you for listening, and I hope uh, you'll be with me again soon. Warrior goddess, warrior goddess, come to me. Warrior goddess, warrior goddess, come to me. I need your wisdom for this age. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.